Hello, Summer Madness. Oh, I'm so delighted to see you. I've been waiting to get to Summer Madness for like 17 years. Isn't that awesome? I've been coming over to Northern Ireland for years and years and years. I started in Dromore. Can you believe that? In like 2005, I reached out to YFC in Dromore and connected with a guy named Stephen McCready. And I got to know, in those years, I got to know some people. Maybe you know some of these names like Billy Fife. And Stu Armstrong, and these guys have become, yeah. And there's so many more, and they've become some of my dearest friends in the world. And then I came back after a while, and I, I stopped at Orangefield. I think there's some people from Orangefield here. And I did this crazy conference called Reactivate. That's what we did back in those days. And then I came back again for something called Project 32, and we tried to reach all 32 counties in the whole island, and you guys, I have been wanting to come to Summer Madness, so I've always missed it, and I'm so delighted to be with you, so excited. Uh, say yes to my question here. Would you like to see a picture of my family? Oh, good. I'm so delighted that you do. Uh, this is my family. Uh, this, was, this was in the middle of the summer. I'm wearing a Christmas hat. Actually, no, I think it's at Christmas time. And uh, that is my son, Ben, on the left. He's 21. My son, Zach. Some of you have met Zach. He's here with me this week. Zach's 24. And my daughter, Elle, she is 17 in her last year of high school. And that's my wife, Kathy. And uh, interesting fact about us, we live in the United States but none of my kids were born in the, in the United States. So two of them were born in Canada and one in South Africa, and uh, we have a very dynamic family. This is my beautiful wife, Kathy. Isn't she fantastic? She loves it when I give her a kiss. She's like the luckiest woman in the whole world, don't you think? Look how happy she is. Uh, she is, you guys, she's the best person I've ever known. She's wonderful, and she's been praying for you all weekend that you would know Jesus better as a result of our time in suburb madness. So this is where I live. Live in Minnesota. And that arrow, we took that arrow all the way over here to Northern Ireland. Do you know where you live? That's where you live, at the point of that arrow, or where you're at. And uh, we, we came all this way. Minnesota is a dynamic state. It's got 12,000 lakes. Can you believe that? And we live in Minneapolis, and, and Minneapolis and St. Paul. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they are sometimes called the Twin Cities. So that's where we live. There's three and a half million people that live in the Twin Cities area, and I am, I'm a pastor at a church in one of the many churches in that area, and it's a dynamic experience. I've been a youth pastor for 33 years, or working in youth ministry for 33 years. And you're like, Ken, you started when you were five or less, right? I'm 51 years old. I could be your grandpa. I'm not your grandpa, but I could be your grandpa for many of you. There's nothing better than letting the next generation know the most important truth that Jesus is Lord. And you guys have been doing this for a long time, and every year, Jesus just proves himself to be true. And there's nothing, oh, there is maybe one thing that competes, one thing that comes close, uh, and can we skip ahead a couple slides real quick? I want to show them a picture of my dog. So this is, this is Stella. This is Stella when she was a little puppy. And then, isn't she cute? She's a Pyrenees poodle, so a paradoodle, and she went through puberty, and this is what she looks like now. 
Actually, that's a bad picture of her. The next picture will show you that she actually is quite a bit cuter than that. And uh, she weighs about 85 pounds, and she's adorable, and she's wonderful. We call her the cutinator, and she's just awesome. Um, so this kind of fills in my life. I'm all about next generation ministry. I'm all about my family and my kids. Uh, on the side, I've been writing a lot of things. So I've got like a, just a little slide there. Over the last many years, the Lord has just blessed some, some writing projects. And I want to let you know that this next year, this next slide will show you, there's a cool Bible coming out called the Make a Difference Youth Bible. And it's coming out in March. And Stu Armstrong, his name is, is involved with this stuff and a lot of people and it's pretty cool so that's going to be coming out in March and it's all about God being able to change you through his word which is living and active and then you know when you read the Bible it's not really something that you're supposed to just keep to yourself the Bible is something that is supposed to kick you in the butt a little bit get you off of your butt and you're supposed to go change the world as a result of what you've experienced in his word and so that's what it's all about, and that's what we're doing here tonight. Let me show you a picture, though. I, I haven't always felt this strongly about my faith in Jesus. There, there were some days where I just didn't feel as confident. This was one. I was apparently going on a dance with my mom. Can you believe? That's what people used to dress like, too, in the 80s, at least in the United States they did. And I don't know what I'm wearing here. I've got like khaki pants and a purple and beige shirt and stripes. And then I've got my, my cool little uh, soccer. It's what we call it in the U.S. I know, I know, I know, I know. And, and I was a soccer player and I've got my cool little like soccer jacket on, black and yellow. We were the Snyder Panthers. We were super cool. And then I had my cool little feathered hair. Isn't that awesome? My, my, maybe my long hair in the back, but my feathered hair. And I spent a lot of time, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I spent a lot of time like, like parting it down the middle. And I think I spent too much time doing that. And now all my hair is gone. But man, I, you guys, I was in many ways on top of the world at 16. I was a good, I was a good soccer player. I scored all the time. I was, I was named the athlete of the week. And I was going to a soccer tournament, and I had a girlfriend, and, and like everything was awesome. We'd been going out for like a week. It was fantastic, you guys. We held hands once. I know. I know. We maybe, maybe, maybe I kissed her on the cheek. I know. I know. I know. And, and I'm like... And now I'm on a date with my mom. That's how bad things got. So what happened between my girlfriend and my soccer stardom and going on a date with my mom is this. Next picture. I think uh, the close-up there. Can you, I've got something on my face there. Can you see it? It's a piece of metal that's holding my face together and some tape that's holding the metal on my face. So I went to the soccer tournament. I was playing really well, and one of the defense linemen got upset because I was a little scrappy and a little fast. I've never been very big, but I've always been kind of scrappy. And I was going around this guy. I was duking him with my feet, you know, and I was just taking care of business on the soccer field. And this guy got a little upset, and he decided that his shoulder could probably take me out. 
And so he put his shoulder down and just, boom, right into my face. And my nose went to Ireland. My nose went like through my head. And I cracked up into my skull. My nose was sideways. And I thought, I think something's wrong. And I had to be taken to the hospital. I had surgery on my face to kind of put my nose back together. If you want, I'll show you later, but you can, you can actually see my nose where it was reconstructed. And I went into surgery and they put some plates in my head to hold my nose together. And then I got out of surgery. I didn't know what was going on. And I had to, I had to wake up the next day and I had a sling over my nose, like seriously, a sling over my nose. And it caught the blood boogers. Have you ever had blood boogers before? They're disgusting. You do not want to eat those things. Trust me. And my life was kind of falling apart, but at least I had my girlfriend, right? My face was swollen. My eyes were puffy. I was black and blue everywhere. I couldn't talk. I sounded like this, and I just couldn't. Everything didn't come out the right way as I spoke. But at least I still had my girlfriend, right? Well, my first day at school... I went to school, and I started itching everywhere, but I'm like, oh, something doesn't feel right. It started itching everywhere, and then my teacher took one look at me and said, you've got chicken pox. I know you guys don't get chicken pox anymore. We got chicken pox back in my day, and I got chicken pox, and these scabs started coming all over, and they started going up into my nose, and I was sent home for like another week and a half, and I've got scabs everywhere. I'm swollen. I'm bruised. I'm bloody. I'm still wearing this brace over my face and this sling, and I'm like, at least I've still got my girlfriend. So it's now been like three weeks. I go back to school. I'm wearing this metal brace with this tape across my face, holding my life together, falling apart on the inside, and I see my girlfriend down, down the row. And the lockers are on each side. I remember it like it was yesterday. On each side, you guys, and I'm like, hey! Or, I'm sorry, more like, hey! It's more like that. And she looks at me, and she goes, I know, I know, let me, I need more sympathy, you guys. It was painful. She walked away from me. And then about 15 minutes later, a friend, mutual friend of ours came up to me with a little piece of paper, and she goes, uh, she didn't want to look at me. She's like, here. I think she might have thrown up had she looked at my face with the blood burgers and things. And she goes, here. And I open up this note and it says, Ken, I think we should just be friends. Thank you. Where were you when I needed you? You guys, I was falling apart on the inside. The, the weight of the burdens on my life. I had everything it felt like. Everything was going okay. And then, boom, some guy hits me with his shoulder and busts my face. I have surgery. I'm wearing metal plates and plastic plates and slings and for blood boogers. And then I get chicken pox and I've got scabs everywhere, including in my nose. And then I show up and my girlfriend goes, nah. -uh. And the weight of the world was on me. The anxiety levels in me were like astronomical. And I just felt like, like I was going to fall apart. Not just physically in my face, but like my whole self. I felt like my soul was crumbling. 
I felt like everything was falling apart. And I, I had known God. I'd been to church. I'd accepted Jesus as my Savior. But it's like now it's like, is this real? Is everything I've heard about God actually real? Because it feels like everything is too heavy and burdensome and I'm getting weary. I don't know if any of you felt that way. But this world is tough. Like you can be going along just fine and boom, everything falls apart. And the weight of life and anxiety and pressures and and just trying to keep up with things or just trying to impress somebody or broken relationships or whatever it is, the stress of doing well on something coming up, whatever it is, the weight of it just can, can start hunkering against you, weighing you down. And to this, Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I think there's some of you that need rest. And I I don't mean just because you've been up all night, every night at Summer Madness, like you've only got an hour. Some of your leaders need rest because you've been keeping them up. But that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about rest for your soul. Rest for your life. Rest for who you are as a human being. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest, Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Anxiety is crushing us today because we as human beings, I don't know if you knew this, But we as human beings, we're not created to have anxiety. And so whenever we have anxiety, it's like something's wrong with me. Yes, that's true. As human beings, we were actually not created to be people who were disrupted and distressed and heavy burdened and anxious. This is not how we were made to be. That is a sign that there is something wrong with this world. We were created differently than that. So every single time that you feel anxiety or weary or burdened or like life is falling apart, it's because it is. It's because you're experiencing that. It's because that is what is happening to our world. Our world is groaning. Do you sense it? Our world is groaning for healing. Do you experience that? Like, are you groaning for life to be better? Are you groaning for this problem to go away? Are you groaning for the heaviness that's on your heart to be gone? And if so, that's, that's the way you should be groaning. There's not necessarily something wrong with you that you're experiencing anxiety. There's something wrong with this world. And Jesus says, are you weary? Come to me. Are you heavy burdened? Come to me. 
Is the weight of life bearing you down? Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. This is so cool. The first time in the Bible that you see rest is actually when creation happens. Do you know that? If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis 1. Check this out. So the Bible starts off, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, God created. And he created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty. It was void. It was chaotic. And there was darkness that covered the deep waters is the description we have in Genesis chapter 1. Some of you are like, man, I'm all about science. I don't get this Genesis 1 thing. You know what? Imagine God as a creative, as a creator, as an artist. And, and you're like, God, how did you create everything? He's like, oh, let me tell you. And imagine him as the artist going, you know what I did on the first day? I said, let there be light. And there was. And you know, when your parents created you, and somebody's like, hey, so uh, how, did, how did you create them? They don't go into detail. Have you ever thought of that? They don't go into scientific detail. Like if you did, you'd probably throw up. No, man, it's like if your parents created you, they're like, oh, we're, we, we fell in love with each other. And, and yeah, I'll stop there. But they would describe it like, never mind. You guys, imagine like a painter. And you're like, hey, how did you make that? Well, I picked out the scientific 33 red. And I, it's not how, have you ever seen an artist describe their work? They're like, can I tell you how awesome it is? How much it means to me? How intimate it is? And so here's God describing his vast work. God the Father, he's created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep, and God's word said, let there be light, and there was light. God looked at the chaos of of the void, and he's like, I'm going to do something in the middle of this stress, and he created, and he said, let there be light right there, and there was light. And he creates and he creates and he creates and he does this for six days. And at the end of the sixth day after he's created humans, it says that he looked out at all he had made and he said, this is very good. And then something amazing happens in chapter two. I I, I don't know if you know this, but after six days of creating the world, God did something which is a little bit shocking. And so Genesis 2, 2 says, on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he got arrested. No, that's not what it says. It says, on the seventh day, he finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. When my, when my son was younger, he thought the phrase was that God got arrested. Because he created all these things, and he thought... Oh, yeah, so God got arrested for doing this work. Well, nowadays, with the hostility in our world, people are, are more likely to be upset that the fact that God created us in his image and we're to follow him and give our lives to him. And isn't it ironic that Jesus comes to this world, God in the flesh, moving into the neighborhood, dwelling among us, and people arrested him because he dared to claim that he was the king of the Sabbath and that he had come with authority to give everyone rest. 
But our world is so anxious. Our world is so heavy burdened. And we're trying to find everything we can to add to our lives to get rid of the anxiety when the king of rest is already here. We need rest. And it's not rest like God was tired. It's like there was peace. Everything was good. There was wholeness. Life was the way it was supposed to be. God looked at everything he made and he saw that it was very good. And Jesus says to me, says to you and to me, Come, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Because what I create in you is so very good. Do you need the peace of God? Come to Jesus. Do you need the hope of God? Come to Jesus. Do you need restoration? Come to Jesus. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you're a close friend beside me. I had a friend. And I saw him one day, and all the color had drained out of his face. And I'm like, what's wrong? And he began to tell me his story, and it was the worst story I'd ever heard in my life. And as a pastor, I've heard some bad stories of people's lives. And this was the worst. And I said, dude, we've got we've to... We've got to talk about this because I'm like, how are you doing? And he's like, I don't even think I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm like, because it's so burdensome. He goes, no, because I'm going to choose not to wake up tomorrow. So I'm like, man, we got to talk about this. So we, we went across the street to a coffee shop and we got some coffee and we went outside on the bench and we sat outside this coffee shop. And meanwhile, all these people whose lives look like they were put together, everything's perfect, right? They're coming in, they're getting their cool little frou-frou drinks with the, the whipped cream and the straws and, and their name on it. And it's all, you know, a little smiley face or a heart on there. And everything looked like it was great. Meanwhile, his life is absolutely falling apart. He just found out some terrible things on top of terrible things on top of terrible things. I had never known somebody with as many burdens. And he was absolutely weary. He had nothing left. And the more he described his life situation to me, the more I had nothing left. I actually, this is how bad of a pastor I am, I actually began to agree with him that, yeah, he probably shouldn't be alive anymore. Because I couldn't imagine a human being suffering with this. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to say to my friend. I've got nothing myself that I can give to him that's going to take away his burdens. His burdens are heavy and they're weighing him down and I can't lift them off. And I felt like it was one time in my life where the, the Lord just like just spoke to me strong and he's like Ken I want you to describe to your friend this tree some of you heard me talk about this yesterday a little bit there's this tree on the sidewalk outside of the bench in front of this coffee shop 
And this tree is growing out of the sidewalk. Somebody had planted it in the middle of the sidewalk. There's concrete all around it. And the concrete is like cracked because the roots of the tree are trying to grow. But the concrete is pressing it down. And and it's heavy. And it's just stuffing down these roots. And as you look up the trunk of the tree, somebody had put an iron grate around the base of the tree. And the iron grate was like suffocating the trunk of the tree. Can you visualize this with me? And the iron grate is like pressing into the trunk. And, and as you go up the trunk of the tree, people would come to the coffee shop with their bikes. And they had chained their bikes around the trunk of the tree. It left scars. The bark was just hideous. It was all scarred up. And then somebody had fallen in love at some point and they'd taken a knife. And what better way to say, I love somebody, than to take a knife and to desecrate a living thing, right? And so they etched their, this heart with their initials and a little Cupid arrow into the trunk of the tree. And then they'd broken up or somebody was jealous because somebody else came along and scratched out one of the initials. And then as you look up this tree, there's a branch. And this branch had been new, but the branch wasn't there anymore because somebody thought, oh, there's a new branch. Why don't I grab it and strip it off? And you know how new branches, they don't just break, right? No, it's like you pull on it and then it, it, it pulls down all the bark. It just stripped the bark and the the tree was like bleeding sap. And I'm like, Lord, I am not going to ask him about this tree. And the Lord's, the Lord's like kicking me in the head. And he's like, what do you have? I've, I've got nothing to give him. I can't lift any of this stuff. And the Lord's like, give me, give me a try. And so I say to my friend, this is one of my worst pastoral moments. I'm like, uh, this is really stupid, but I feel like the Lord wants me to ask you to describe this tree. I actually said this is really stupid. And my friend, he starts to describe it to me the same way I just described it to you. Yeah, Ken, it's, it's like planted in the middle of the sidewalk and the, the concrete is like crushing the roots and it's breaking apart and, and the iron grate is like suffocating and his demeanor started to change as he started describing this. And it's like suffocating the trunk of the tree and, and people have been chaining their stuff around this tree and he's getting really worked up and they, they've chained it and they've left scars. This tree is scarred and wounded and, and then somebody has come along and etched their initial initial into this tree and and then somebody tried to scrub it off but it can't get off it's destroyed there and then then this tree's tried to do something new and somebody's come along and just ripped it off and he goes Ken I've got to know how is that tree still alive and I looked at him and he looked at me and and it was like simultaneously we realized the roots are keeping this tree alive. And we knew it was alive because as you look up in the top of the tree, there's leaves, there's birds making nests, there's squirrels up there, there's seeds coming out of the tree. It's alive. But as you look at where this tree is standing and what, is it, what it is experiencing in life, it is getting just ruined and wounded and hurt and anxious and stressed and heavy burdened. And we realized this tree had dug into something deep. And its roots were strong. And its roots were finding nourishment and truth. And it wasn't the concrete that was crushing the roots. The roots were growing strong and breaking the concrete. 
And it wasn't the iron grate that was suffocating the tree. The tree trunk was growing and expanding, and it was actually bending and pushing and rusting this iron grate. And as you looked up the tree, there was life, and it was abundant. And my friend said, how is this tree still alive? And he goes, because I need to know. I need to know how this tree is still alive because this is me. People have scarred me and wounded me and they've left their initials on my life and no matter how hard I scrub, I can't get it off. How is this tree still alive, Ken? Because I want that. That's true life. And I was reminded... Psalm 1 says that those who delight in the ways of the Lord are like a tree planted by a stream, mighty and flourishing in every season. I was reminded of Colossians 2. Let your roots grow down into him, into Jesus, and let them draw up nourishment from him so you can be built strong and vigorous in the truth that you've been taught. And let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all he's done. I was reminded of Ephesians 3. Let your roots grow into him so that you can experience his love, though it's so great that you'll never fully fathom it. The Lord is our shepherd. We have all that we need, and he lets us rest. You guys hear some truth? We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Jesus saw that our situation was bleak. He saw that we were heavy burdened and weighed down. So he came to this earth. He walked on this earth. He walked in the middle of our burdens and our storms and our scars. And he took scars upon himself on the cross. And by his wounds, by his scars, we can find healing. My friend, on that day, we talked about Jesus. And he invited Jesus into his life. He said, sorry, Lord for whatever I've done in my own life that's wrong and not with you. Thank you for dying on the cross and saving me. Please come into my life. My friend gave his life to Jesus and he started learning how to stand tall through the wearies, wearisomes and the, the burdens of life. He went on to become a manager at an apartment with people whose lives were broken and devastated. And he became a manager. It was a rehabilitative, rehabilitative apartment complex where people coming out of prison or trafficking or, or terrible life situations or homelessness or abuse, they would move into this with nothing. Their lives are scarred and wounded and heavy burdened. And they'd look at my friend and they'd, they'd be like, you have the same scars that I have. How are you still alive? And he'd say, can I tell you about Jesus? Because he's given me rest. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know, Jesus wants us to know who he is because he loves you so much. He created you for peace. And he created you to be resilient enough that in this broken world, he can give you healing and he can give you a witness to how great he is. You know, he went to the cross 
took our burdens and our sins. He took them to the grave and he left them there. And then he resurrected from the tomb. And he was walking around. And he ran into two guys. And they were heavy burdened. And Jesus is like, hey, what's going on? And they didn't recognize who he was because they didn't expect to see Jesus walking around. And they're like, oh, we're so heavy burdened. Our, our, our master, our, our, the guy that we thought was going to rescue us, he was arrested because he claimed to be able to give people peace. He claimed to have the authority of God. He claimed to be the one who spoke us into being. And so they arrested him and they killed him. And Jesus says, hey, can I tell you about him? Because I know a lot about him. And Jesus began to explain himself. Will you guys let the Holy Spirit stir your heart as I read this to you? I, I want you to see the sorts of things that Jesus could have said to those two guys in Luke 24. Because he went through all the Bible, Moses and the prophets, and he explained the scriptures of the things concerning himself. And I, I've wanted to know, what did Jesus explain to these guys? Is Jesus enough to overcome our heaviness and our burdens? What did he explain that day? You guys, I think this is what he explained. I think he explained how creation reveals him, how Noah served him, how Abraham obeyed him, how Joseph pointed to him, how Israel embodied him, how Judas set the stage for him, how Moses spoke for him, and how the Passover lamb was him. Can I get some claps? And I think he explained how Joshua represented him and the judges foreshadowed him, how Ruth great-grandmothered him, how David trusted in him, how Elijah battled for him and Isaiah prophesied about him, how Ezekiel envisioned him and Hosea suffered for him, how Daniel stood up for him, how Nehemiah dedicated him, how Malachi foresaw him, and how John the Baptist prepared a way for him. Yeah? And... I think he also said how he created everything. How he's the plan of salvation. He's the promised one. He's the savior. He's the redeemer, the mediator, and the true judge. I think he also said how he is the son of God. How he's the prophesied king. How he's the heir to David's throne. How he is the good shepherd. How he is the bread of life. How he is the word of God. How he's the promised Messiah and the living water. How he's the way, the truth, and the life. How he's the forgiver of, this, of sin and the lion of Judah and the lamb of God. And how he recreates everything. You guys, this is who Jesus is. And he's the only one in whom we can find restoration. Jesus Christ is the only one in whom you can find rest and restoration. You guys, if you are heavy burdened today, if you've got sin in your life, if you've messed up, Jesus can overcome it. If you've got burdens and scars and you're like, I can't get these scars off of me, Jesus can turn those into beauty marks that tell an incredible story that can rescue somebody else. Jesus can plant you deeply and make you stand in the middle of the storms. He can walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you and anoint you. He can lead you to have peace. I might be 51, but I feel like a child filled with wonder when I'm with Jesus. 
he will help you guys stand through these storms of life. So find restoration in Jesus. If you're sick, Jesus came for you. If you're lost, Jesus seeks after you. If you're a runaway, Jesus searches for you. If you're hidden, he finds you. If you're broken, he heals you. If you are lame, he gives you footing. If, he, if you are deaf and can't hear, he opens your ears. If you are blind in your heart, he gives you sight. If you are imprisoned, he frees you. If you're anxious, he anchors you. If you're overlooked, he notices you. If you're sick, he sits with you. If you're a wanderer, he calls your name. If you're a sinner, he loves you. If you're repentant, he forgives you. If you're weak, he strengthens you. If you're lonely, he dwells with you. If you're sad, hurting, or grieved, he weeps with you. If you're mourning, he comforts you. If you're lifeless, he breathes into you. If you're trampled, he lifts you up. If you're displaced, he gathers you. If you're hungry, he feeds your soul. If you're thirsty, he quenches your questions. If you're last, he makes you first. If you're unsanitary, he eats with you. If you're despised, he dines with you. If you have the world's sins on your shoulders, he takes them from you and puts them on his. If you're his enemy, he dies for you. He bleeds for you. He stretches out his arms and he welcomes you. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Tonight at Summer Madness, you can decide. You can decide to find rest in Jesus he invites you. He doesn't force you. He invites you. And it's not about whether you want to or not. It's about whether you should. He invites you. And tonight you can decide to follow Jesus. He's calling you. His spirit is calling your name. Can we pray? Bow your heads. Close your eyes. You guys, some of you for the very first time in your life, Right now, Jesus is saying to you, come to me, and I will give you rest. And I want to give you an opportunity tonight to receive Jesus as your healer, your savior, your redeemer, your source of everlasting peace. I want him to restore your soul, and you can invite him to do that. I would love for you, if Jesus has been calling on you, I would love for you to have that opportunity tonight. I'm going to ask you to pray with me in just a minute, if that's you. And for the first time in your life, you need to declare and make a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord. To give your burdens over to him. And here's what I want you to say tonight, just like my friend said on the bench. Sorry, Lord, for my sin. Thank you for stretching out your arms on the cross and taking my burdens. Please come into my life. Let's pray. And those of you who for the first time tonight need to make that decision, 
please pray with me. Everybody have your eyes closed. Dear Jesus, you can repeat after me quietly in your soul. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin and the burdens I've caused my own life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, for stretching out your arms and offering me salvation and forgiveness and a new life. Please, by your Holy Spirit, come into my life and make me new.